Was that a good look for the former president to have boxes in a bathroom? I don't know. Is it a good picture to have boxes in a garage that opens up all the time? A bathroom door locks. Welcome, welcome. Welcome, everybody. David here. Waiting for Matt Leck to... <laughs> the ones and twos, brother. How are you doing? Unleash David Grisco. <laughs> yes, please. Um, welcome, everybody. Left Reckoning 122, man. We're getting up there. Stoked to be doing this today on a big, big day for all of our friends over at MSNBC. Yes, Trump was brought before justice. I want to be talking about that in just a minute. Um, but uh, just want to let folks know. We're going to be joined in just a couple minutes by Nick French, who has a couple excellent pieces in Jacobin, um, particularly one, um, Marxism doesn't equal wokeness, but if you oppose oppression, you should be a Marxist. Really looking forward to talking with him. And then Matt and I have, I don't know, a pretty damning video of uh, uh, one RFK, who was supposed to be the chosen one, was supposed to be the one to take down the military establishment, um, and has almost immediately... Uh, <laughs> rolled over um, from the pro-apartheid lobby uh, in, in, in pretty impressive uh, It pretty is weird how sticky that issue is and even like you know, Cornell West should be better I think than um, you know look we've talked about the good things about Marianne and embracing the economic mm -hmm. message domestically but not super big fan of some of the um, Israel messaging with regards to her uh, as well. Uh, Cornell West also has some odd things and you know i think his statement might his feelings you know hopefully he can elaborate them and they're more nuanced than some tweets that have been dug up uh, uh but it's an issue that is very tough for people to have a good position on. like i mean even bernie is t like bernie i think has stood up well when ilhan mm -hmm. and folks like and rashida talib are slandered by his like, democratic party uh as uh, anti-semites uh, but even his positions, like, this is a difficult thing for people. And, and we see this with candidates, too. Like, this is a difficult issue. Yeah. No, totally. We'll be talking about that um, in a little bit. Um, and reminding folks, this Thursday, we're going to be doing a special stream on Cuba um, with uh, former guest Amna Sheikh, um, who was part of a labor delegation uh, to the country. So really make sure that you check that out Thursday at 3 Central. But... Look, I mean, we got to talk about it. It's sort of the law of podcasts. I know podcasts like The Daily are probably rolling in big numbers talking about the Trump uh, case here. And Matt, could you tell people what's been going on? So Trump was arraigned on federal charges uh, this afternoon, pled not guilty. 37 charges related to handling of classified documents. That brings his total indictment count, somebody pointed out, to 71, um, <laughs> yeah. which is, you know, Barry Bonds type numbers. But uh uh, let's watch this uh, news clip here and we'll fill in some of uh, the stories. And I, I just love what's interesting about this is I think there is, and we'll talk about mentioned Bronco March speech and peace in Jacobin, which I think kind of lays the correct, um, uh, significance on different parts of these stories. Um, and then like what exactly the hypocrisy looks like. like I think, I think like Biden mishandling the, as to, um, Kevin McCarthy's, you know, what about, okay, Trump has, documents next to a toilet well biden has documents next to a corvette like one yeah. <laughs> one we shouldn't have an overclassification system but two that stuff should be public records that stuff should be public property 
the Nixon tapes are where Nixon wanted to be like, hey, that's mine. And we're like, no, actually, that's ours. And that is how it should be. And so like, when Hillary Clinton was doing stuff, it's fucking mm-hmm. revolting to see mm-hmm. Hillary and the uh, the podcast Johns talking about, ooh, what is your feeling about him getting tripped up for something that, you know, we all had to act. Was there anybody like more thankful than a liberal when Bernie Sanders said they don't care about your damn email? Oh, yeah. It was such a right? And it's like, it, it, it's gross. But also, we do have an over-classification problem, and it, it does get selectively weaponized with regards to politics here. That's definitely mm-hmm. true. On the other hand, I do want to point out, like, Reality Winner's whole position on this, which is, she herself was quoted as saying it was agreed. Do you mind people for that is just because people... Yeah, Reality Winner leaked documents purported to, uh, I believe, like, a, a election um, machinery, and... Mm-hmm. Ended up, she's been incarcerated since 2017, uh, for four years for that. Um, and uh, and yeah, like she, she got the full force of this. And she's one of many people who, I mean, Bronco's piece goes through uh, when you're not a president or presidential candidate and you mishandle documents. They, I don't care about any story, I don't care about, uh, you know, you decided to do something out of convenience. Um, you broke the law. You're going to jail, mm-hmm. and that is a like there, like this is a complex thing to to emphasize. I find no, totally. Well, let's. I mean, let's get to that that nuance in a second, and just remind people of, of what's going on because it's pretty good. Yeah, and we got some good images here. What we can expect an unprecedented arraignment expected to unfold in Miami federal court Tuesday. Former President Trump to be arrested and arraigned on 37 counts, alleging he willfully retained highly sensitive documents on the U.S. nuclear program, military, and U.S. vulnerabilities to attack. Trump calling on his supporters to protest. Security preps underway outside the courthouse. The city's mayor saying this. We wanted to assure, ensure the public that we are ready. On the campaign trail, Trump, still the GOP presidential frontrunner, denying any wrongdoing, accusing President Biden of weaponizing the Justice Department. We did absolutely nothing The 49-page indictment says after leaving the White House in 2021, Trump carelessly stored classified documents containing national defense secrets throughout his Mar-a-Lago resort, in boxes in a ballroom, even a bathroom. Prosecutors say Trump did return some of the boxes last Sorry. Uh, we'll go back to that bathroom clip. Is in a ballroom, even a bathroom. Okay, so that's you that yeah. you know no 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 sorry. If ever there's a red brown alliance like that looks like a good communist in Brooklyn's bathroom, right? Just like <laughs> <laughs> uh, I and you know I mean man, it is it's a beautiful image. It's one that if you told me it was AI. I would believe, I'd be like, damn, this, we need to invest a lot more of, uh, you know, a, a capital into this technology because this is great stuff. Um, yeah, like, uh, and I want to address one thing. There's the, the, there's the thing coming out about the uh, plan of attack with regards to Iran that uh, Trump supposedly uh, uh, purloined. And I am glad to know about that. But I don't think you can just thank Trump for that. I think you can thank the investigation. You can both thank Trump for purloining it and the investigation of Trump for purloining it into it, right? It's not like he was going somewhere. It's He was holding on to these things. And it's hard to know, like, the kleptocratic nature of, like, why do powerful people want to retain this stuff? Uh, is it for, like, specific 
like, oh, this is going to be worth that to this person? Mm-hmm. Or is it, oh, a general cache of shit that uh, I get to control and other people don't control? I don't really know what it is. Um, but I think this, this is pretty clear cut. And I would say, like, the only time the bathroom door is locked is uh, if there's someone in there taking a the shit. Yeah. I mean, look, I think that um, it's it's important actually not to miss, you know, what the, these documents are. I mean, you know, there's a lot of stuff about, for example, like America's nuclear arsenal, um, allegedly as well, like these battle plans for, you know, an invasion of Iran, um, which is something that, you know, I think people should uh, take very seriously. You know, of course, like, you know, the, the government always comes up with, you know, certain kinds of strategies for all kinds of scenarios, right? Um, but just knowing how reckless both Trump and the Biden administration have been um, in regards, uh, you know, with, with Iran, um, I agree with Bronco again, uh, another piece that he wrote on, on the subject saying like that should be a bigger part of the story um, as well as just how high up and how dangerous and how, you know, because like, these things like you can fall into a war pretty quickly. Um, particularly with the United States government, United States government's like willingness, for example, to play along um, with Israel, which has shown itself not only to be hawkish, um, but by some accounts, like potentially trying to egg on an armed conflict with Iran, which would be devastating uh, for millions and millions of people. Right. So that all that stuff is like 100 um, percent serious that people should take yeah. it as such. But. This is also extremely fucking funny. Um, it's just reminding people, like, basically what he's in trouble for here is that he took a bunch of, you know, classified documents, had them strewn um, um, across the winter White House, which he was called Mar-a-Lago, um, you know, in the bathroom, on stages, um, in a very high traffic area. Um, you know, the, the Iran story, um, he just pulls out uh, one of these documents to somebody who is interviewing him. Um, where he also admits that it's like, yeah, I probably should have declassified this to myself, which is like the, the thing that's really amazing about this case. And we'll talk a little bit more seriously in, in a second about the, the general sentence stuff. But the thing that is amazing about this case is just how incredibly incriminating Donald Trump can be to himself. because <laughs> The constant undercutting of basically people's defenses of him. Like, like, oh yeah, he was president. Of course he could declassify. He's like, yeah, when I was president, I could have declassified this. Now I can. Um, and, you know, just while we're looking at fun stuff, I think this picture is one of the most beautiful things <laughs> I've seen of Donald Trump's presidency. Um, you know, the just an incredible, incredible shot. And I think really encapsulates um him as as a man and as a political figure um but yeah i mean like we'll see what ends up happening with this um the you know there's a lot to talk about comparing this for example to the other case against him in new york one this judge um has ruled in his favor before um in florida florida is a state that is a little bit more pre um predispositioned uh, to maybe being more pro-trump it only takes one person to create a hung jury um against him so we'll see how this ends up uh playing out but look the you know the 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 level of willingness the the willingness of trump to sort of refuse to play ball with the government the the recklessness of the way that he was handling you know very important government documents you know it is it is something that is like worth making you know it is something that is a scandal and Um, also i'll just say like there is one differentiating thing like he gave uh, you know, federal authorities to run around with regards to like, hey, return this stuff more so than I mean, I don't want to speak for Hillary because I'm not up to date on that. And I'll frankly, like believe uh, malfeasance from them. But yeah. like that, there's a, like tr- if you actually read into like 
the type of you know bullshit like you can't get away with that <laughs> you know, like no but like I, I don't know that biden could get away with what trump was doing like yeah like go fuck yourself oh we gave you back this it's like hey there's a lot more uh oh is there i don't know but i thought we just went it's like it's like a, i don't know it's it's very clearly shoddy so here are the two kind of more more serious points right the first one is political um Right. Regardless of how reasonable this case is, regardless of how seriously um, <laughs> Trump incriminated himself, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, this is like one of many of these kind of attempts to defeat Trump, defeat the kind of movement that he's created um, through the legal system. Right. There has been a worrying tendency, I think, amongst uh, liberals in particular just want to sort of sit outside of politics, hoping that eventually a referee will come in and sort of shoo away the right wing instead of defeating them politically, defeating them by, you know, supporting things like Medicare for all, a more robust social safety net, economic populist policies. Right. There's this kind of hope that if, you know, through some kind of machination, this is going to go away. I'm going to tell you right now, it won't. Um even if he goes to jail from this, that movement will not go away. And there's been this kind of deep fantasy um, that has, has has had very dangerous consequences. Um, most notably has been this willingness um, of, of people on that kind of MSNBC liberal left to embrace censorship, to be worked up about disinformation, uh, which has been used extremely well by the powerful to try to protect legitimate criticisms of United of, of, of American empire. Um, and it, it's something that people should not be comfortable with. It's a very morbid symptom um, from our, 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 our failing political culture. The second point um, is the one that you were bringing up earlier, Matt, is that when it comes down to something like this, you either need to treat the lack of care for privileged documents as a non-issue in the way that it regularly is treated for political figures Um um, across the board treated in that way. Instead, what we actually get, as, as you were saying earlier, is that a lot of like low level officials have the book thrown at them, regardless of if something bad happened, regardless if it was done with intent, um, regardless if it was like a reasonable threat uh, to national security, right? There are different rules at play for the wealthy and the powerful in this country than there are for the rest of us. And you can see that in the many, many different examples of, of, of people who have been punished for these kind of low level offenses. Um, you know, so like, yeah, the right wing is going to make a big deal about Biden and the, his documents. They're going to make a big deal about Hillary Clinton and her mishandling of, of, of her email servers. Right. And they're going to have a point um, until uh, we either sort of hold everybody to this kind of standard um, or we stop basically trying to use these things um, to threaten and uh, for threaten folks. And more often than not, right, the really punishing aspect about this is how particularly like the Espionage Act is used to silence and attack whistleblowers. Yeah. And I, like, I think um, it's almost like uh, we have to do both things because it's like, I don't want to see, I simultaneously want to make sure that it's known that that stuff is public property. Totally. At the same time, I, I, the, it is like the big problem of overclassification and things that should be public. Uh, and I don't think, you know, I mean, I think was it Ryan Grimm who floated like if Trump serves prison, Biden should um, pardon, you him. Know, pardon him after a week or so like that. Like, 
I, I don't know what the actual way to strike this balance is practically um, or even like in idealistically. <laughs> um, but I do know that like, I, like, I'm glad that we know, um, you know, uh, that the, the WikiLeaks cables that showed that we were pressuring uh, Haiti to not do a minimum wave mm -hmm. because Levi's uh, margins would get affected. Like, you know, that stuff, that's yeah. not what we're talking about with this Trump shit or even with Hillary or Biden. Like, that's a problem because they're to like trying to basically protect stuff from the eyes of historians, uh, at least as my or, or journalists mm -hmm. immediately is my impression. Um, and like, I'm not sure what the w best way to do that, but it, it's a tension. Well, uh, we're going to have a lot of opportunity to watch this over <laughs> the next few months. I'm sure this is going to be, continue to be a major story. Um, I think it's time to bring on, um, our guest for this evening, Nick French. Um, Nick French is an assistant editor at Jackman magazine. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today on Left Reckoning. Hey guys. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Really stoked to be chatting with you. We're going to be talking about two pieces. One I talked about earlier, Marxism doesn't equal wokeness, and another uh, piece called Don't Fall for the Myth of the Job Creator. But just to bring you into our world, Nick, uh, I got we have to share this incredible video uh, from none other than Charlie Kirk, somebody who shows up a few times in your piece, um, talking about a very deranged and kind of paranoid life uh, that you have to live if you are on the right wing in America today. We are now having to, I'm, I'm guilty of this. I, I'm going through my kitchen, I'm going to my refrigerator, and I'm starting to ask the question, well, is this ketchup bottle woke? Is this mustard? I mean, literally, we're at the place now where we have to go through, is the company that makes this? And so, blackoutcoffee.com slash Charlie, I'm sure all, many of you are coffee drinkers because you're high end. Wow. <laughs> I think it's been a really beautiful gift um, from the right wing <laughs> recently to give the left Chick-fil-A, Bud Light, um, and Cracker Barrel, and I just say keep them coming. Um, but this this kind of deranged, um, you know, right wing uh, freak out about companies and wokeness. You know, it's it's funny. It's pretty. There's an aspect of it that Matt and I have been trying to make the point. It's like, you know, it seems sort of new, but they've always been doing this kind of thing before it was woke it was political correctness and getting worked up about that right um but one thing that i think you know interests us a lot on on this show has been like how they have had how they've been trying to attach that uh to marxism and we have this from charlie as well which you cited yeah. in your piece um which is about you know this kind of secret marxism that's behind wokeness and he has a woke rating um that's been created here um but here he calls crt marxism in schools dei marxism in hiring esg marxism in finance lgbt marxism in identity blm marxism and and in race i mean the new one cei corporate equity index soros funded marxism and corporate governance um, Nick. Soros funded Marxism as opposed to just Marxism. That's <laughs> Nick, I mean, are we winning right now? Is 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 Marxism in power in the United yeah. States of America? Yeah, I wish I wish we could say that. Um, but yeah, no, it's really it is it is funny in a way. But um, like you said, David, it has a long history. I mean, political correctness is kind of one version of it, uh, especially if we're looking at the idea that there's a kind of like authoritarianism on the left such that, you know, if you step out of line, if you say the wrong things, you're going to be um, canceled. What, what did they say before canceled? What, what happened if you were 
They might have decided to use normal English, be fired, right? Yeah, you're gonna be fired. People will be people will be not nice. People don't want to be your friend anymore. But I mean, as I discussed in the piece, it really goes back to this theory of um, you know cultural Marxism, which itself is kind of a reinvention of the uh, like Nazi line about mm-hmm. um, Jews and how you know the Jewish people were simultaneously like global capitalists, but also behind um, Bolshevism and, and global communism. Um, this kind of conspiratorial thing that that links a bunch of things that are seemingly unrelated, but really there's, uh, you know, a few insidious I mean, Jew- Jewish intellectuals behind it all. So um, the cultural Marxist theory in particular that became popular after World War II said that um, basically Jewish intellectuals who immigrated to the States, including especially the Frankfurt School, you know, thinkers like uh, Theodore Adorno and uh, Herbert Marcuse, um, were really the source of everything that ailed America from the right-wing point of view, right? Like, um, not only were they advocating for uh, Marxism, but in fact, uh, you know, movements for civil rights, for, um, you know, the feminist movement, for gay rights, all of these were kind of Marxism in a transmogrified form um, that, you know, professors, left-wing professors had indoctrinated uh, the youth to um, promote. Uh, so that's that's a really old version of this. Um, yeah. Yeah, without, uh, you know, Horkheimer, we wouldn't have had the civil rights movement <laughs> and Jim Crow would still be around, I guess. <laughs> you know, and it's like, it's interesting, like, in the, the way that they t- talk about it, I think is different from like, maybe like a more accurate reading of like the new left, for example. Um, but, you know, like, and I won't put you on the spot to like condemn the Frankfurt School unless you want to, which you're very welcome to, you know, but like a lot of Marxists, for example, see that cultural turn to be a huge decline in 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 like marxism as like a as a political philosophy in the sense of it having like political weight right this retreat to the the, the university right this over focus on on culture um versus maybe a more traditional marxist marxism which was more focused on like class in general um and that it's always funny to me when um you hear like james Lindsay's or, or charlie kirk i think james Lindsay might at, at least be able to do this a little bit more intelligently than Charlie Kirk, um, you know, make this argument that like basically it's this kind of secret that they've uncovered, right? This like secret hidden plot from society, right? Which is, you know, why your alarm bell should start ringing when you also hear it attached to Soros, right? Again, like Soros is no Marxist. This is a guy who made a lot of money, you know, in, 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 in finance, right? Um, I'm, I'm curious, like, um, to, to hear your thoughts on like why they think that this is such a um, an effective tool for them to basically be able to criticize maybe sort of more recent like social justice movements, we could call them. Yeah, um, I mean, I think it's basically because of the legacy of uh, the Cold War and the Red Scare. I mean, I, I think they're, they're probably mistaken about how effective <laughs> This mm-hmm. is also a rhetorical strategy, at least in today's day and age. But I think the idea is that if we associate everything we don't like, any kind of, you know, liberal or progressive causes, 
you know, even relatively shallow ones like DEI or ESG, um, if we associate that with with socialism or Marxism, you know, that's those are much scarier, maybe more foreign seeming ideas. Again, they invoke this specter of authoritarianism. So, mm. yeah, they say they just want to like, uh, you know, hire more um, women or more minor racial minorities on corporate boards. But uh, really, that's just the start of like setting up gulags. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that's. I think that's the rhetorical um, tack, right? Um, and I mean, I think what's interesting about all of it is like on both sides, right? Because in a second, we can maybe talk about some of the, you know, more Marxist or socialist criticisms of like these new corporate initiatives, right? Um, but I think across the board, what's interesting about this is like, there's a side of this that is like elite politics. And what I mean by that is it's just like how do corporate boardrooms look or even how do universities look, right? Um, yeah. You know, from like the left progressive side, maybe, you know, supporting those kind of endeavors, but also from the Republican side, because they're like, they don't want, you know, their kids who go to the nice universities and these schools to be exposed to this kind of stuff, or they don't want their boards uh, to reflect these these kind of values, right? Like this is like a battle between <laughs> well well to do groups in America. That, sorry just to add on to that i remember watching dave rubin and it sunk into me like oh we're talking to different audiences he's talking to actually like he's he can be that stupid because he's performing for like board members who are like anti-woke or whatever right and so he'll say like oh yeah if they say we can have we need like this many this much representation on tv they're gonna say it about your boardroom too and it's like that's never <laughs> something i've ever been concerned about man <laughs> like yeah, yeah, no, I think that's right. I think that's insightful. I mean, I think, you know, the vast majority of Americans, like working class people, poor people, most middle class people for that matter, like, like, yeah, what, why should they give a fuck who is on the, uh, <laughs> the board, you know, of, of <laughs> Disney or whatever, um, you know, and, and then it's like, yeah, people up in arms about, you know, affirmative action or like what is the AP school history curriculum. I saw a good, I think it maybe it was Sam Adler Bell who made a, a point about um, Ron DeSantis's message, message really pitched in the way you guys described. It's, it's focused on the like neuroses of the, the right wing elite. Um, and, mm-hmm. and privileged professionals, right? And it's not necessarily something that um, has a resonance with, with um, you know, less wealthy people or working class people. I mean, I, I, did you guys see the clip recently where Donald Trump was sort of, you know, even like mocking the kind of obsession with wokeness? Um, I thought that yeah. was really interesting. Yeah, moment. yeah, where he, where he said that, I mean, that's the... I think him versus DeSantis is going to draw these dynamics out in a very interesting way because he's like, yeah, I wokeness is something everyone says, but I don't like it because nobody knows what it means. And I also think he probably saw when the, that one woman was Bethany Mandel was on Brianna Joy Gray's show and couldn't define it. It's like, oh, this is, the, oh, this is yeah. a bad look for our side. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, like, and I'll, I'll just say, you know, for the right, which give them some credit, like they can sometimes be good at branding. Like death tax was great. Um Right. You know, death tax worked very well because it sounded so awful. Um, you know, I can't remember what the one was Obamacare, something similar to death, death, right? death panels. Right. I guess that's a theme. But, um, <laughs> you know, like, it, like, I'm sorry, it's like way too many acronyms, 
acronyms <laughs> i follow this stuff sort of for a living or the discourse generally like i always have to remind myself what esg is <laughs> you know cei and things like that um you know i i do wonder how like effective um it will be and as we were sort of joking around about before the the show like you know at a certain point, if like the pitch for the right wing is like, don't watch baseball or football <laughs> anymore, and you have to buy special coffee from our like our non woke friends, uh, I don't know how much of a popular movement um, that could be. But look, it, like these are conversations like that that have been happening. Um, I, I think there's no doubt about it that like there's been a cultural reckoning over the past decade, and I think a lot of people um, either embrace or there's been some resistance um, to it. I mean, like I was wondering, Nick, if you wanted to talk a little bit about like separating these kind of movements from like Marxism or, or, or socialism as a philosophy. Cause I do think that like, um, I don't know. It's, 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 it could be sometimes a difficult, uh, you know, line to draw. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, um, I think the first thing to say is that, you know, Marxists are opposed to oppression and, and support, you know, racial equality, gender equality, you know, sexual freedom, mm -hmm. all of that. I, I think that uh, what what Marxists um, object. Oh, we might have you might have clipped out there. Oh, yeah, let's see here. To is the oh, way that no, Nick, Nick, so we, we lost you for a second. Um, um, you, you were just saying Mark, what Marxists object to. Sorry, yeah. What they object to is the way that liberals try to advance these causes and, and also often weaponize them against the left. And they, they use them in ways that are more about um, claiming the moral high ground than actually helping people, especially less privileged people. So oftentimes, you know, if, if Ron DeSantis's anti-woke politics is an elite politics. Well, what he's responding to is an elite politics, right? Mm -hmm. It's about um, diversifying the incoming college classes at the most elite institutions of higher education. It's about diversifying, you know, corporate boardrooms, right? Like the sort of highest, you know, seats of power in the in the United States and, and in the world. It's a, uh, making sure people use the right language uh, uh -huh. in a very sort of clinical way. Um, and, and oftentimes it's used to distract from or to, um, as Hillary did in 2016 against Bernie, to put down leftist proposals for redistribution or universal social programs uh, that would help it, everyone and especially help um you know women racial minorities the the people who are disproportionately harmed by um economic disadvantage and and you know being being workers in a capitalist society yeah i mean bernie was attacked both ahead of both iowa primaries in 2016 and 2020 as being somehow sexist or sus on these issues when in fact his material program would have been uh, you know, the most beneficial for any of these, uh, any of these metrics by far. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, in its most insidious forms, I think it kind of reifies uh, existing, you know, inequalities and hierarchies. I, I saw someone in, in the chat uh, mention Robin DeAngelo, right, which mm -hmm. is sort of the 
almost a caricature of this stuff, except that she's a, a real person who actually, you know, does this for a living where, where it's really about, oh, uh, if you're white, you know, you should turn inward and, and focus on, you know, all of the bad thoughts in your head and uh, really distracting people from actually changing the world. You know, there are people who's, who are advocating kind of like race essentialism, where it's like, oh, people of certain races uh, are naturally less rational <laughs> or less logical. It's like really toxic mm -hmm. stuff that's just, you know, white supremacy and another. Oh, we, um, yeah, sorry. Uh, I think you, you clipped out again. Sorry, brother. Um, sorry. Oh, no worries. No worries. Um, yeah, the, uh, um, I think that like this gets to like one one of the, 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 the like an important bit too where like I think that like there should be some level of like recognizing from the left from like the socialist left of like recognizing um you know one like the the severe need um, for a lot of reckonings in this country be they like you know racial or in gender um, or in sexuality right and if like recognizing that like people are certainly oppressed um but also being able to challenge um you know th this kind of liberal view of it which like individualizes a lot of the problems and oftentimes like leaves out power out of these things right i mean this is the point with robin d'angelo um you know for example is that like you know instead of like recognizing for example like the reason um you know that like um you know certain groups in this country have been exploited you know at, at high levels by capitalism um instead it is like something inherent in you as an individual and even you know particularly in the way that her like seminars are done right it's like you the employee right somebody who is like limited power in your in your corporate structure is like you're the reason that this is, is the way instead of like the entire profit motive or the entire system um you know that that, that creates these problems Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I mean, just to, to kind of give a very quick gloss on the way that I think Marxists think about it or, or should think about it is like, we want to build a movement to uh, redistribute wealth and power from the capitalist class and, and the most privileged professionals to the working class. Ultimately, we want to go beyond that, democratize the economy, society more broadly. Um, now in doing that, well, first of all, we think that that's going to disproportionately benefit, you know, racial minorities, women who have been most harmed by the capitalist system, who, uh, have historically been excluded from better jobs or, uh, have been forced to, to take worse jobs or, or, you know, they've, they've suffered, uh, the, um, disproportionately the violence of the, the state, the police state. The prison system. Um, so we we think that's going to benefit everyone, and much more so than DEI or uh, you know, ESG, any of the alphabet soup woke things. I'm really holding out for ESG. I think it's going to that and uh, AI. I think we're really going to turn things around. For <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> uh, but just to continue on that, we also think that it is important to challenge, you know, individual prejudice, bigotry discrimination but we do it because we think that's necessary to building this mm -hmm. broader coalition that can benefit everyone um and we think that race things like racism things like racialized police violence 
uh, sexual discrimination, sexual harassment, they they weaken us as a class and they make it easier for capitalists to pit us against each other. They make it easier for them to exploit, you know, desperate workers who are afraid of getting deported or who are afraid of, um, and becoming homeless and becoming the victims of of the police state and so on. So, you know, we if we're charitable to the liberal wokes, we share a lot of their goals, um, assuming they're sincere about that. But we have a totally different vision of of how to achieve them and how that fits into a project of social transformation. You know, I mean, like, I'm, I'm curious what you think about this, but just bringing up like a historical example that maybe might like help make this this point for folks. Um, I've been reading a lot about the Southern um, uh, Tenant Farmers Union um, in the South, right? And this is at a time, um, you know, when we lived, I mean, you know, incredibly segregated society. I mean, like the height, right? We're talking about the Jim Crow South here. Um, also, like high levels of exploitation um, for workers. I mean, being sent out and being in poverty, um, you know, was was a death sentence, um, you know, for, for many people. And it was something that was always present. Um, you also had a state that was um, advocating against working people. Right. So like if you came across your boss, the state would oftentimes join your boss and either throw you in prison or in other times like a sheriff would just straight up murder people. Um, and what ends up happening? Um, here, well, th these workers who were all in the same situation, both white and black, realized that by coming together and creating this very strong union, um, they could get more concessions than if they sort of bargained separately. Because, for example, if the white members created a white only union, well, then like there's a lot of black people in the South and they can those wages and contracts can be undercut by using that kind of labor yeah. and vice versa. Right. Um, you know, both ways. And what ends up happening with this union is like really incredible. They win tremendous victories. And what do they end up doing um, with a lot of money? You have some of these cooperative farms that are set up that are desegregated in the South um, before the civil rights movement, right? Something that was actually showing practically what a different future could look like. And that came from people joining together and fighting for, um, you know, economic democracy and economic freedom. And, you know, social justice and like equality and fighting against racism were central tenets and were like, were critical to this institution. But for, for it to be extremely effective, it was attached also, um, you know, to the system that oftentimes creates those kind of bigotries or creates the logic for the state and the powerful to try to enforce, for example, like racial hierarchies in the South. Right. And like you see this like practically in in American struggle all the time. And like now, for, for some reason, in, in 2020, making those kind of arguments like stuck in the past 2023 you know making that that argument um you know um can seem controversial right and i think a big part of it has been that there has been this this kind of move to try to take away from 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 that history and instead replace it with something that is more corporate friendly that, that is less um threatening to the very powerful because they're very happy to pay a consultant a bunch of money um you know to hand out spreadsheets to people about like their inherent um, issues versus like actually restructuring the way that their companies um, work and, and the relationship with people and, and workers in the general public. Yeah, yeah, very well said. I mean, that's a great example of the Southern Tenant Farmers Union. Um, but but really, there. I mean, there's a whole history. I mean, basically the history of the civil rights movement mm -hmm. and its historic connection to labor and to the socialist and communist left in this country. Um, it's it's been it's been kind of erased, and I think people are now starting to recover it. 
sort of post Occupy, post BLM, post Bernie, you know, more people are, are learning about and talking about those historical connections. But yeah, I mean, the major leaders of the civil rights movement, you know, uh, Baird Rustin, A. Philip Randolph, they came out of uh, the labor movement, they came out of the socialist left, right? Like, mm-hmm. and, you know, the Communist Party, uh, socialists, after a certain point, at least, mostly saw the project of, you know, equal rights for black Americans as bound up with um, uh, a project, a greater project of, you know, class struggle, redistribution, expanding, expanding democracy throughout society and the economy. Um, and yeah, people don't talk about that. I mean, it's, it's almost, uh, you know, being, being in Jacobin world, it almost feels a bit rote to make all these points, uh, (laughs) days, but you know, like people, people forget that MLK, that I have a dream speech, you know, that was, um, given at the March on Washington for jobs and freedom, which Mm -hmm. was promoting, promoting a broad vision of social democracy that would benefit everyone along with, you know, obviously, breaking down uh, legal discrimination, Jim Crow, et cetera. Um, so I think it's really important that we, on the left, recover that history and sort of pound it into people's heads that, hey, you know, the Robin DeAngelo way of doing anti-racism, the, um, you know, the DEI way, that's not the, that's not the only way. Mm, but if you care about these things, this is the way to actually, you know, tackle them. Well, I mean, since we're talking about jobs, we also want to talk to you about another piece that you had um, in Jacobin, which is don't fall for the myth of the job creator. And this is something that is, um, you know, brought up all the time. The right loves to make this point. It's always um, very fun when they do. Uh, Bernie Sanders, obviously, is always attacked for not being a job creator. Um, you know, but there's this idea that, like, you know, you shouldn't hate the wealthier come at them because they provide these things for us, which are called jobs, which are the things that allow us to eat and have a roof over our head. You know, so maybe we should be more thankful for these people who have been giving us um, this really, really wonderful program. I mean, is that a fair way to think about uh, the way American society set up? Yeah, um, I mean, it's not, although there's a kind of like deceptive uh, appeal to it. I would mm-hmm. say, right, because, you know, it, it is, uh, for the most part, um, at least what we see is it's individuals or a group of individuals uh, providing providing capital to start a business. Once they start a business, that business starts hiring people. So you think, oh, what created the jobs are the people who started the business. Mm-hmm. Um of course, it's often more complicated than that because you know m- many businesses get all sorts of government subsidies, um, tax breaks, things like that. They of course benefit from public infrastructure, um, but there is that kind of I think surface level thing. It's you know these capitalists, these these you know heroic entrepreneurs. They're the ones starting up these firms, and so we should thank them for uh, creating the jobs. But yeah, the argument of the piece is basically just like, well, no, what creates jobs is employing society's productive resources. Right. Um, so the fir- you know, the state can uh, start a business, and it does start businesses. You know, there are state-owned enterprises all over the world, um, even in the U.S. Uh, and then what, once you do that, you know, you have to hire people. So you've created jobs. You know, 
workers can get together and pool their funds and create the cooperatives. So really the, the question is, why is it that, you know, people who are lucky to be born rich or who are able to um, hoodwink, you know, venture capitalists into giving them money, like uh, the Theranos woman, what was her name? Elizabeth Holmes. Holmes, yeah. yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, why is it that they get to decide how society's resources are used? And why is it that they get to extract all of the benefit from their workers' labor? And I, I think, sorry, Matt, just really fast. Um, I think that's a really important point to make. Like in, in your piece, you're responding, I mean, to this argument in general, but like Howard Schultz during his meltdown um, at his congressional hearing. Um, and like, let's not forget, for example, I mean, for, you know, let's not forget why he's making this argument in the first place, because he's pissed um, that his workers are wanting to do something that he doesn't want them to do, which is create a union. Right. And then he brings up the job creator. Um, you know, so it's not like a benevolent thing. It's like saying, I also own these people effectively. Right? I, I like, I should be able right. to demand against them, um, you know, what, whatever I want because I created this job. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really important because it, it gets at something that I think is often overlooked. So, so one kind of response to, um, what I say in the article that I, that I bring up is, um, you could say, well, you know, sure, some people just got lucky, uh, or some people are, are you know, evil and, and got their startup capital by, through evil means. Um, but, you know, there are some people who scrimp and save and through hard work, they, they save up enough to start a small business, and then they, you know, turn that into a successful empire. Um, so, uh, what about those people? Aren't those people like virtuous job creators who we should be grateful for? And what I say is, well, look, I mean, putting aside the question of whether it, it was fair for them to to accumulate that capital in the first place, I, I still think it, it probably wasn't. Um, but putting aside that question, why does the fact that they did that then enable them to become tyrants mm -hmm. like Howard Schultz who get to decide you know, on a whim, how their employees' lives are going to go, uh, and who are, who are saying, no, you don't get to have a union, you don't get to have even a basic say over your working conditions or um, basic protections if we want to fire you or discipline you. Uh, yeah. So I think that's that's really important. Like, yeah, this, this job creator rhetoric doesn't justify these <laughs> you know, private tyrannies. It, it masks like the reality, which is that there that class of people is job suppressors, um, and this is sort of like a civilizational question, like who gets to uh, authorize work to be done. And it reminds me of this um, New Deal liberal journalist, uh, New Deal era work by uh, Frederick Lewis Allen called "The Lords of Creation," and I just think that's a really great book because he's writing this post uh, New Deal. Um, and he, it's a wild too, because he's like, good thing we put that free market stuff behind us. And <laughs> basically making fun of capitalists who said, despite the economy going to shit, we're the only ones who can do this. And actually, no, they're sitting on a lot of productive capacity and not allowing it to thrive. And like, I mean, I, I mean, we're going back. We talked to, you know, we're talking 18th Brumaire and uh, Communist Manifesto. And like one of the big demands then was like the workshops, the national workshops. Like this is. Right. really fundamental question um for civilizations yeah yeah no that's 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 exactly right yeah i mean i guess that's one of the oldest 
one of the one of the classic Marx's critiques of capitalism is that it doesn't actually employ society's resources in a the optimally productive and rational way. So you know you have all these factories uh, sitting idle, all these people mm-hmm. are unemployed who could be doing good work, and you know the New Deal in this country is, I guess, the closest time, closest we came to something like you know actual uh, full employment program. Um, uh, Which they don't like, by the way. Yeah. Right. We have that. We haven't played the clip, but the the Furman, the guy who was Obama advisor, said, "You know, just casually on CNBC, said, hey, maybe we put the we uh, have the uh, Fed crank this up so we can get two more percentage or two more points on employment, uh, you know, get this inflation under control.' Just casually talking about that over breakfast. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Because their profitability depends on people being out of work and, and desperate enough to accept low right wages. yeah yeah because if we're building you know whatever like a, 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 a grid um that's competition for labor for them right right yeah so they're also i mean they're they're not just uh you know refusing to employ as many people as they could because it's not profitable but they're actually engaged in political conflict against the left against you know people in the state who would want to you know put more people to work you know build public projects public works do that kind of thing um so yeah at, at many levels you're right matt they're they're job suppressors <laughs> rather than job creators you know and like it, it has like serious consequences like you look at the ira or IRS, they're calling it um you know and effectively you know which is supposedly you know our plan to start dealing with climate change and effectively it's like tax credits and and subsidies and you know a little help around the edges for private capitalists to do certain kinds of in, in investment to you know invest in certain kinds of production um you know and it's a it's a very inefficient way of, of doing that. And in, in the case of like climate change, an extremely dangerous one, you know, to leave in the hands of, of, of private capital because um, they don't have like the public interest at heart. They are most interested in making as much money as possible. And like, yeah, it's nice if you can maybe spur them a little bit every once in a while to align with the public good. Um, but when it's, it's expensive and it's inefficient uh, versus just building out, you know, renewable power, building out nuclear power across the country, um, you know, in the TVA style, which, you know, again, like they they the, the capitalists certainly oppose. Um, but there's this timid timidness even from, you know, the Democratic Party now to do any kind of, you know, direct investment or direct, uh, you know, creating companies, building things on their own. Yeah, well, I'm really glad you brought that up because I think. This is one of the major questions for the left today. What do we think about uh, the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, and this kind of uh, timid shift towards more public intervention in the economy via targeted subsidies, tax credits to you know green capitalists, essentially? Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I think that timidity comes directly from a you know an unwillingness or inability to really take on capital and also the lack of a uh, coalition, a political coalition that's going to, you know, promote this program, uh, promote, promote the kind of program you were talking about, which is like a massive public build out of, Mm -hmm. you know, public, public green power, nuclear power across the country. Um, Yeah, you know, I think that's just the way in which like the contradictions of capitalism are, are manifesting politically right now um i've heard i've heard some socialists say 
some on the left say that the Biden approach is all carrot, no stick. And I think that's dangerous <laughs> for exactly the reasons you said, David. It's like, yeah, you know, they some of them might take the subsidies, but they're not going to build green energy at the scale we need. They're cert it's certainly not going to solve, you know, the problem of un unemployment in the way that we would hope, you know, a Green New Deal uh, might. Um, so I think the left needs to be really clear-eyed about that. And and yeah, again, we, we can't rely on capitalists. We can't rely on them to create the jobs. We can't rely on them to carry out this transition. You know, I mean, um, I, I don't know how deep we'll be able to go into it, but like this is one of those times where it's like the distinction between, for example, like a progressive and, and the socialist becomes massive, right? Um, because, you know, we're not just talking about fair wages. We want fair wages, right? We're not just talking about government programs like Medicare for all. We want that. Um, but we're also talking about fundamentally, like how we organize our society. And like, I remember a few years back with Kale um, Brooks at Jacobin, I did a video um, about money and politics, right? And like the progressives, like we talk a lot about money and politics in the way that like campaigns are funded. And of course it's, it's like legalized corruption. It's a huge problem. But what's the bigger problem with money and politics is that we have a bunch of like private tyrants sitting outside of um, sitting outside of politics, sitting outside of like public influence who hoard tremendous amounts of our like resources, right? Of social resources. And then we're just sort of begging them to do what we want. Right. And like, you know, again, like in the climate change one, I mean, it becomes really pressing, but it's like anything. I mean, remember when we were running out of baby formula um, or all of these, you know, you know, things like that. I mean, I think there's like a, a shortage in cancer medicine right now because of, of, of the profit motive. Right. Like this is a dangerous thing to have private individuals basically being able to make decisions for the whole vast majority of us and it's completely outside of the political conversation it is treated like there is a firm wall between um you know that wealth and that influence that they hold over society um and like what we're talking about you know totally yeah and i think it's because once you start thinking about that and talking about that oh it's not just that capitalists like fund you know their favorite candidates the, the people are going to vote the way that they want but that they have structural leverage over the economy and over the state because they hoard all, all of our resources. And you have to think, well, the way to address that would be to take away their control <laughs> of their resources, democratize the economy, democratize finance, figure out some way of publicly deciding how these resources should be used. And once you're talking that way, you're, you know, you're in the realm of being a socialist and, and that's just, you know, on the margins, even even our, um, you know, our Democratic Socialist tribunes in, in Congress, you know, we love them. They've people mm -hmm. like Bernie have, you know, are the reason that, you know, I'm here, at least a lot of us are here having this conversation right now. But, you know, it's rare to have that conversation about uh, public ownership. But it, I, I still think that that's the way we need to go if we're going to have a, a solution to the climate crisis if we're going to have a real sustainable solution to inequality, mass unemployment, mass precarity, and so on. And that's what you mean by sticks. Like we can't just do carrots, like tax incentives and your right. subsidies to chip manufacturers. They're... Oh, sorry. My computer just froze. There needs to be actual like uh, threat and the challenge to the authority of like, you know, a capitalist. Right. And like fossil fuel, companies you're not gonna 
incentivize all of them to like stop taking oil and gas out of the ground, right? No. Like it's certainly not at uh, at the speed that we need to. That's that's a case where the government just needs to come in and say, "Hey, you're done. <laughs> mm-hmm. you're, you're replaced." No, uh, absolutely. Well, um, Nick, um, really was a lot of fun uh, talking with you. Uh, people should definitely yeah. follow Nick on Twitter and read Nick's work in Jackwood Magazine. There's links below to do that. Um, really appreciate your time, brother. Great. Thanks so much, guys. I had fun. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. See ya. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that, like, try not to be antagonizing to our good progressive brothers and sisters, but I do think that, like, making these lines of demarcation clear, because, like, these are things that are just so desperately needed, um, I think, in our, our political <laughs> conversations that is very much lacking right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, before we go to the post game, you can get access to that at patreon.com slash left reckoning, where Matt has a very titillating um, breakdown on the damage that the AI freaks are doing to gamers. Um, <laughs> Investors, man. It's not even it's not even fucking AI freaks. They don't even exist. It's like, well, don't get me started. <laughs> well, before before we get there, um, we wanted to talk a little bit about RFK and we haven't done too, too much on him. Um, I think whenever we've talked about him, uh, we've tried to talk about his stuff outside of the vaccine thing, because I think that like at, at a certain point, that understanding, you, you're going to go in that conversation with whatever you think about that. Right. Um, and I'm not saying it's not important, but it's just sort of like, don't let the, some of these other things float under the radar. Um, because, you know, well, there ha- what? Sorry, I was just gonna say, like, I'm also sensitive to like the idea gene, you know, elaborated, like, I don't think it's. It's our, while I'm skeptical and I will not uh, hold my tongue on these candidates, I also don't think every opportunity to uh, pull them up on something they slip up on is uh, useful. However, there's certain things you can't like entirely ignore. No, I'm not I'm not saying to ignore it. I'm just saying that like right. almost any time anyone writes or talks about them, like that's all they talk about. And I think that that means that you're not getting like the full spectrum because there is this kind of argument that you've seen from from people you know on the left maybe on the kind of outsides maybe people who aren't necessarily part of like some of these big organizations but people who care a lot about these things we'll give them that right um who say like yeah i don't agree with him on this but he's the only one who's willing to talk about this this and that and the big one that people argue um is that this is somebody who's unafraid um you know to take on the american empire right and the best thing you can do as an as an american leftist or socialist right now is to take on the american war machine right very sympathetic to the argument that like something that is incredibly beneficial to the world right if you can weaken the power of the american war machine um but when we were talking about it a couple weeks back um, we were talking about it in the context of roger waters um roger waters was praised um by rfk um and uh and RFK shortly after deleted his tweet uh, praising Roger Waters um, because he was informed of Roger Waters' position on Israel-Palestine. Um, and watching him fold so quickly on that, for me, completely evaporates any kind of argument that this guy is going to have the backbone um, to take on you know, the military-industrial complex um, in general, for example. But um, if you don't believe me, um, or if you think that you know maybe we don't understand that particular chapter, Here's an opportunity with a fairly friendly audience, right, um, um, of, of RFK talking about Israel-Palestine on Glenn Greenwald's uh, show. And we can just let people make their own mind up about this. Everything has a historical context in Israel. 
And if you look at why we don't have a two-step, two-state solution in Israel, which everybody now says they want, um, but both in 1947 and 1940, not 1947, 1948, and then again in 2001, it was the Palestinian leadership that walked away from a two-state solution and and pledged itself to the destruction of the Jewish people. Oh, and that. So before we go any further, like, let's catch that last thing that he said again. He said, pledged themselves to the. Um, to the what was it eradication? Let me get it. I'll play it again so people can get it exactly right. Yeah. Lo siento. Away from a two-state solution and and pledged itself to the destruction of the Jewish people. Destruction oh, of that, the Jewish. You know, I mean, like you know, absolutely unhinged and and wild thing uh, to say about people who have seen in, in their lifetime. Um, you know, their their homes, their lands be completely eradicated, um, um, being pushed. They're so consumed with hate, though, to, you know, agree to a two-state solution. You know, but like, but let's be very clear here. Saying that the Palestinians have dedicated themselves to the destruction of the Jewish people is such a heinous and absurd um, thing to say that, like, it's hard to take anything else that he says seriously after that. But let's let him continue. history, and I think at a time when they had a very, very generous solution on the table. Now, you know, the other thing I say is Israel is a democracy, but it's a flawed democracy just like the United States. But if I was a dissident Arab, Palestinian, would I rather be a dissident in Israel or in Saudi Arabia or Oman or Qatar or any other Arab nation? If you're a dissident, you get up on the, in the middle of the public square and denounce the government. Where would you rather be? You'd rather be in Israel. Is it the only place you're? Yeah. What? So an ID, so an yeah. IDF guy can shoot you in the head, and they can act like they can't get to the bottom of what happened. Yeah. So we're talking about Shireen Abu Ekla, um, you know, who is a Palestinian and American journalist who was killed. Um, you know, was was shot by the IDF. Um, and look, you know, you you don't even have to cherry pick. I mean, there there are plenty of examples of people being brutalized right. um, by the Israeli state um, for speaking out against the occupation. You know, Israel has, um, you know, people who are, um, you know, brought into Israeli courts in the occupied um, areas. Um, have a completely different judicial system set up for them, one that has an astronomical um, conviction rate, I think something like 99%. Um, because um, One, because, look, there's no justice there. And two, because people are held and detained for years often um, for for like very minor cases. Um, so people will just plead guilty so that they can just serve out a sentence and then return, hopefully, uh, to their homes and families that hopefully haven't been destroyed by another bombing. Um, done by Israel. So again, what the hell are you talking about here? Where would you rather be? We are seeing it happen before our eyes. What happens to people who are dissidents, right? Um, you know, and he's going to make this argument a second. Like, is, is the idea that people who support Palestine are somehow quiet about the Saudis? Um, it's absolutely right. ludicrous, especially, especially when more and more in the region, mm-hmm. Silent buddies have been the government of Israel and the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, right? So this idea that these are like, you know, I mean, like two um, 
and with disastrous consequences, right? So this idea that like here's some kind of beautiful beacon of democracy surrounded by these these dangerous countries, like yeah, there's a lot of fucked up nations in the area, and Israel is one of them. Yeah, like compared to one ally, this has a, a civil society you might find more pleasant. Is not really a ringing endorsement. Uh, yeah, Jesus. And we need we need to have the same standard for judging Israel as we judge other oh, Arab countries. We should, you know. And Israel, Israel is is going into the West Bank and killing children. Is never doing that deliberately. Never, and nobody has ever said it is. Well, a lot of people, have, a lot of people, a lot of people have said it. A lot of people have said it is. But, but let me just ask you because I just, I just want to focus the. Wait and like we'll we'll get, go forward, but you know credit to Glenn for not letting that one slide. I mean that's you know sometimes I like interviewing can be tough sometimes, right? Because you want to figure yeah. out the right way to do it, particularly with like a you know candidate for office, right? Because you do just sort of want to let them say what they think, right? Um, you know, so I can maybe get the you know uh, inclination to not say anything. But good on Glenn there for saying what the hell are you talking about? I'm not going to let that one slide. Yeah. Um, like the broader like context like which of course like if there weren't idf soldiers taking pops at kids which there are like yeah. you know the number, numerous occasions there, uh, there, high profile there are horrific videos of precision headshots yeah. um yeah. exactly but also like i would say even more of like the generic uh seattle times paper show israel counted calories to limit food in gaza like what effect does that have on kids yeah no, I mean, it's it's just there's no way that you can run a prolonged bombing campaign or run a prolonged occupation and say, like, well, it was never our intention for anything to ever happen to these children. Right. Um, I mean, this is straight up propaganda in the pure sense. Apologetics. Yeah. Apologetics. Yep. All of those other countries, it is the deliberate policy of those countries to attack and target civilians okay, and I to kill them. Israel is, is the a model democracy in the Mideast. It's the only democracy in the Mideast. And as a democracy, it's it's a model for peacekeeping, for, you know, for, um, and uh, there's never been a, a time in history when a democracy has, uh, has gone to war with another democracy. So I think our policy in the United States should be to support the, the growth of democracies around the world. I mean, so there you have it. I mean, just last little fact check there. I mean, talking about Israel being a model democracy. I mean, tell that to Israelis, right? Even dropping this issue as as Israel right. continues to slide into far right authoritarianism, there have been massive protests and movements in, in civil society to challenge the extremely frightening degradation of democracy in that in the, in that country for like Israeli citizens. Um, you know, dropping for a second the, the apartheid system. I mean, look, at the end of the day. Um, what you got there is pretty boiler like you're not going to get a hostile interview on um israel palestine to like a joe biden for example right so because rfk is like sort of in this different kind of media ecosystem he gets put on you know gets questioned on these things i think that's good right um well this is like a pretty this is like a pretty typical level apologetics for israel that you would get from a lot of democratic party politicians is what i'm saying and I, I have to uh, point out, this is to the right of John fucking Kerry, who said on his uh, leaving the State Department, uh, if the choice is one state, Israel can either be Jewish or democratic. It cannot be both or it won't really ever be at peace. Just simple statement of fact. Yeah. 
So look, the point here is this, is that, um, you know, when it comes to RFK, these kind of ideas, you know, these next level that like, oh, maybe we disagree with him on this or we disagree with him on that. But this is somebody who's willing to take the sledgehammer to the status quo. You're watching somebody trip over themselves over like one of the defining factors in American politics when it comes to foreign policy. And that is criticizing an apartheid regime that is Israel. Yep. Unable to, unable to even like the the thing that's so amazing about this RFK clip, though, Matt, is you know as I was saying before, like this isn't even just like a little bit of apologetics mixed with um, you know denial, um, the of the more like milk toast variety that you get from some maybe like progressive Democrats who are unwilling to really criticize right right um, Israel, but like they'll put a little bit like well human rights should be respected or this i mean this is straight up glowing this is the, he's saying this is the only real democracy in the area they have no intention of of harming like bush people. era the yeah. the palestinians have committed themselves to the destruction of jewish people right i mean this is like rabid apac level stuff um yeah. and look i'm sorry you see somebody fall over this um you cannot believe that this person is capable or particularly interested um, and doing the real work, like rhetorically, he might say some things about not wanting to prolong war in, in like Ukraine, Russia. But you see somebody fall over themselves in a moment like this. Um, what makes you think that if they were to be elected president, the very, very unlikely, um, you know, scenario that they beat Joe Biden in, in the Democratic Party nomination, that they would. I mean, this is somebody telling you who they they are very clearly because RFK is already labeled as a kind of outsider, already labeled as somebody who's like dangerous for the Democratic Party. Right. So like the upside for him to say things like this is very limited. Right. Because he could just include, um, you know, they will the same people will be mad at him um if he were to say some truth for example about israel palestine as as they are um, who are mad about him for what he said about russia ukraine for example um so this is somebody telling you what he really thinks and i think that it's very telling yeah i mean and particularly on the waters thing is so chicken shit like how, i mean look if you want him to run for your ideas campaign, sure, fine, you know, um, whatever. Like this is bad. Uh, this is a, that's a bad intervention to say, hey, I'm going to stand up for this guy. Oh wait, he said, what about Israel? Never mind. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> come on, man. Like the, you know, he's not serving the purposes you want him to serve, even. Yeah. Well, um, you know, it's 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 dark and look, I, I these are weird times. I know people are trying to look for a champion in this hard sometimes when you see for example presidential elections where you yeah did you see the I, i've seen rumblings that cornell may be uh, ditching for the green party That's... so i've these are i have two and i would categorize them as rumblings i haven't seen anything okay. definitive um but possibly i mean i i could have just missed it um but yeah there i, I have heard that more on that maybe next exploration week. and if we get more information i'd be more happy um to talk about it but look i mean like beyond anything i think that like if you are a socialist in, in 2023 and you're trying to figure out what to do, the things that you have to be doing is looking to class politics in this country and trying to build up oh, some kind of institution versus look like socialists and like people who are maybe are like on the left who maybe consider themselves to be outside the mainstream love to make this point like i'm outside the mainstream i'm not like a typical person then why are you doing the exact same thing as like almost every other american person which is like hyper fixating on the uh, horse race of a presidential election right instead of like thinking structurally about how we build up this movement it does it, it boggles my mind 
that people who consider themselves to be outside of, of you know, tradition on these things are so adamant about trying to find some kind of sneaky way to say this represents my politics when you have to just be able to recognize that as things are currently constituted we don't have um a, a socialist party um you know that is putting up candidates for office right and in the socialist movement in this country is so just um, diffuse that like we don't have any level of coordination to be able to operate even in the ways of like the socialist party under eugene Debs, right and if that's what you want to see for example is seeing like a great radical figure like a eugene Debs rise again and getting you know 15 percent in a presidential election and being able to be proud about who you're voting for you should think about how eugene Debs was in that position in the first place versus just thinking that eugene Debs created a socialist movement out of whole cloth by running for president no this was somebody who was dedicated dedicated their their themselves to the labor struggle and the social struggle for decades um and like that's what's in front of us. And I know it's not the most fun thing in the world. I know that it would be better if all that we had in front of us was just creating the right argument and the right media strategy for a political candidate to take office. But that's just not how the world is. I'm sorry. It sucks. But like we have to deal with the conditions that are in front of us. And the number one goal, it's not sexy. Um, it's it's not sexy. It's hard work. Um but the, the only thing that we should be really thinking about doing is how can we build up institutions that can reflect and direct working class frustration and desire for a better world right now and attaching to whatever presidential candidate, um, you know, comes along in whatever cycle is just not how we're going to be able to develop that. Sorry, it's just not how it's going to work, friends. Yeah, well said. Well, folks, we're going to jump over the post game. Patreon.com slash left reckoning. We'll be taking calls and questions. If you have anything that you wanted to add, you can leave us a voicemail at 1940-289-7234. Again, that's patreon.com slash left reckoning. Get access to that bonus um to the post game and also our awesome bonus episode, which Matt had a great title for capitalism in the countryside, uh, where we looked at the political economy of rural America. Um, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was great talking with uh, Keith, um, and uh, yeah, look forward for more because he's on a he's on a beat that is very close to one David and I are fixated on. I know it was really a lot of fun. So if you haven't seen it, yeah. in your patron, uh, definitely check it out as well. We'll be uh, over in the post game about 10, 15 minutes, folks. So come see us there. I'll be back this Thursday talking about Cuba, so uh, three central. So uh, come by and join us for that. And everyone else, take care. Peace. <laughs>